Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Joe Biden is inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States of America. How is the rest of the world feeling? How will Donald Trump and his legacy reflect on the Republican Party moving forward? What does it do for conservatism? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. How you feeling today, huh? How you feeling now? Huh? I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Joe Biden has been inaugurated as the 46th president of the United States. Donald Trump has gone to Florida. His show has been canceled. Oh, man. Now what are we going to watch? It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Oh, man. Is it me or does it feel a little bit like New Year's Eve? Is it me or does it feel like uh, all of a sudden now the COVID is gone too? It's just a complete... No. All right. Let's not, uh, let's get, I get overexcited here. Uh, good afternoon. It is 108. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson home show on the air. And of course, uh, delayed an hour due to, uh, the inauguration of the 46th president of the United States. Man, what, uh, what, uh, what an interesting spectacle that was. Uh, you know, everybody's sort of sitting on the edge of their seat, hoping that, uh, we get through it all without any sort of, uh, issue whatsoever any sort of security issues and uh blammo there you go it's uh it's done it's over with and uh honestly i think it's it's a new day in not only america uh but in the world feel free to jump into the conversation we would love to hear from you here on the scott thompson home show uh facebook and twitter there's commentary there the podcast you can react to that you can also send us a note via the website scott thompson at 900 chml.com the phone lines are always open 905 645 3221 star 9900 on your cell. Big show today. Going to talk about a little bit we uh, a little bit of uh, what we just witnessed and history in the making. Uh, uh, a new day, one where maybe we won't hear from the president uh, every day, uh, every hour. Uh, remember, I was saying to my wife earlier on. Remember when we used to complain that we never heard from politicians? What are they doing now? Where are we with that? Uh, why, why isn't anybody communicating with us? And now I think everybody's just. Whew. I'm glad that's over with for now. Uh, and, and, and I believe that's no matter what your politics are. I don't think this has to do with left or right. Uh, this has to do with sanity versus insanity. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Graham Dodds, Concordia University Professor and Associate Chair, Department of Political Science, and is with us now. Graham, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Doing well. Happy to be with you. Uh, I thought you were going to say Happy New Year there for a second, yeah, Graham. Not quite. I love that intro, though. That was terrific. Man. <laughs> so, so what are your thoughts now? What, I, I, am I the only one that sort of, whoo, a, a sigh of relief here? And I don't think this has to do with politics. How are you thinking? What are you, what are you feeling right now? I, I agree with you. I think you put it very well. Uh, I mean, the new uh, president being sworn in, these are usually uh, times where people try to put aside partisanship and give the, the new person a chance. But I think especially after the last four years, a lot of people are just 
just really ready to get back to something, if not normal, at least a little bit less crazy. And uh, I think that appeals to people who are uh, conservative Republicans who aren't altogether happy that Joe Biden won the election. I, I think we can all sort of look forward to a little bit less craziness in the White House over the next four years. It's not a very high bar, frankly, but I, I think a lot of people will welcome that, if nothing else. Yeah, that's a good point. It isn't a very high bar. Um, how is or how do you think America is feeling right now? Many talked about and we talked about prior to all of this inauguration day that, you know, there's still a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump. There's still a lot of people that, that, that think that this election was a sham, although we certainly are seeing more people and more and more people coming out on the Republican side and, and clarifying all of that. Um, where do you think America is today? How are they feeling? hard to say. I, I think that, um, yeah, uh, Republicans are going to take a while to sort of come around and sort out their views. Uh, one big difference I would note, and this was most uh, striking yesterday when uh, then-President-elect Biden went to this uh, sort of uh, display of lights uh, along the, the, the water in front of the Lincoln Memorial, um, sort of having a leader who recognizes that there's a terrible pandemic that's cost hundreds of thousands of lives, now over 400,000 Americans, uh, his recognition of that yesterday and then just today in his speech, uh, having a moment of silence for those who've been lost, um, that's a big difference uh, compared to a president who basically pretended uh, nothing was happening, or if it was, it was in the rearview mirror. So um, kind of a somber note, obviously, but I I think a president who now uh, has some recognition of reality and thinks it's worth noting that uh, there's this terrible disease that's killed lots of people. Does this ceremony unite? It's different this time because it's not so much uh, of it being a celebratory uh, uh, situation for the party that won, but more so even a greater message about unification. Does this ceremony make people take a step back and go, what the heck? Sometimes, my, uh, sometimes uh, I've heard this said too, sometimes we have to be finished something before we step back and look, wow, how did we ever put up with that? Um, do you think this ceremony will somehow uh, unite America? Oh, I think at least briefly, yeah, not to be overly cynical, but I mean, this talk of unity, this has been Joe Biden's thing from the get-go, uh, and it's not just an act, that's who he is, so it was not surprising to hear him today in his speech talk about unity, about he was going to be a president for everybody, he was going to fight hard for people who voted against him, um, That that's who he is, it's again, not a surprise, it's to be expected, is it going to do anything, is it going to win any converts? It might buy him a little bit of goodwill. Um, I mean, look, usually the way this works is a new president has a sort of honeymoon period for a while where people uh, bite their tongues, um, but that will not last. And America remains divided. Congress is narrowly divided. Um, he's going to have a hard time just sort of keeping the temperature down and trying to uh, uh, kind of hold the division at bay long enough to get a few things done. Is America as divided as the Republican Party is? That's a good question. Uh, look, Democrats are divided, too, right? I mean, the Democratic Party, when you have a yeah. two-party system in a, in a country as big and diverse as the U.S., there are going to be divisions within those two groups. And, yeah, uh, Republicans, uh, obviously, their divide is more uh, sort of at front and center right now. And this will be uh, seen most easily when the Senate takes up uh, the impeachment conviction of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, how many will go along? Uh, those who uh, have sort of... Uh, even after the siege of the Capitol said that uh, Biden uh, was perhaps not legitimately elected, is there going to be a price to be paid by those folk? Um, The members of Congress who arguably helped the insurgents plan this thing, they had appealed to Trump for pardons. He did not give them those pardons. Yes, Republicans are very divided. I I think uh, Mitch McConnell wants to put Trump in the rearview mirror. He wants to 
retake control of the uh, the party of Lincoln. But uh, look, 74 million people voted for Donald Trump, and even if some of them have subsequently disavowed him, uh, tens of millions have not, and they're not just going to go away. Talk a little bit about the Republicans that did show up uh, and were prominent. Vice Pres- uh, the Vice President uh, Pence, obviously Mitch McConnell, as you mentioned, even Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham. What kind of message is that designed to send? Uh, or do they just pretend that yesterday was yesterday and tomorrow's tomorrow? Well, uh, Mitch McConnell has uh, been more and more openly critical of President Trump in recent weeks, perhaps deservedly so. Maybe there's a politics to it. Of course there is. Uh, I think Ted Cruz is just really hoping by uh, sort of uh, playing nice now, people will forget that uh, he was, uh, you know, among those who were challenging the election of Biden just a couple weeks ago. Um, I would add uh, President George W. Bush to the list. He um, has been very good in reaching out to the Bidens and in criticizing uh, uh, President Trump, former President Trump, we can say. And um, you know, I'm reminded four years ago after Trump's inaugural when he talked about the American carnage and uh, George W. Bush said, boy, that was some weird uh, S-word stuff. So I don't think mm. anyone said that today. This was not an extremist message from Joe Biden. This was a sort of hope and unity. And uh, uh, well, here's hoping. How do those Republicans that's, you know, that right up until today uh, still would not uh, give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt or or the or the the accept the loss that they have? How does a Ted Cruz or a Lindsey Graham who, you know, are being now shouted down by their own uh, by their own supporters? How, how do they move forward? That's a good question. We're really going to have to wait to see how elected Republicans, especially in the Senate, uh, deal with those who have questioned Biden's election and uh, arguably supported the, or encouraged the insurgents who stormed the U.S. Capitol a couple weeks ago. Uh, I just don't know how that's going to play out, to be perfectly honest. Americans tend to be rather forgiving and to have kind of short memories. So uh, maybe Ted Cruz can still enjoy a career, but there will be others uh, Maybe not Republicans, but certainly some Democrats who call for him to be ousted, call for him to uh, be thrown out of the Senate for what he's done. Um, I don't think that will happen, but I think Americans are torn right now between a desire for vengeance and a desire for forgiveness and having a fresh start. And we'll see this chiefly when the Senate takes up, uh, you know, Donald Trump. Other people want to say he's no longer around. He's not in office. He's a private citizen. Let bygones be bygones. And others want to say, no, let's uh, prosecute him and uh, make sure he never holds office again. Uh, obviously, before today, security was a massive issue. We, you know, we all saw as we watched this uh, the huge security presence that uh, was in and around Washington. Uh, and thankfully, everything goes off without a hitch. I'm sure today that was the safest place on the planet. Um, but that being said, many are concerned about tomorrow and the next day and, and after the weekend and such. Um, do you think we'll we'll see any more of what we saw on uh, the Capitol uh, just last week? Yeah, uh, obviously, I hope not. Um, and I'm optimistic that it will not happen. Um, I will say that right after uh, Biden was sworn in, I got an email from an American friend of mine in Canada saying, whew, no violence, we actually got it through. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. you know, uh, it's dark moments where you have to sort of uh, count yourself lucky that there wasn't uh, uh, violent problems. I, but I, I think it's not going to be so bad going forward. I really hope I'm not wrong. And I say that for two reasons. I, first, I think I, for, that people are taking it more seriously. You know, uh, with the, the the siege of the Capitol, obviously people didn't take these threats seriously. Now they are. Um, so I think uh, people are more cautious. Security is more on alert, and that's probably good. Uh, but secondly, um, look, we don't longer we don't any longer have the president uh, kind of encouraging 
the worst elements and, and, and you know, provoking this kind of violence. So uh, the people who might still be inclined to that sort of thing no longer have their quarterback. They don't have their cheerleader. They don't have the president tweeting. Um, they've got Joe Biden instead. So with greater security and less provocation, here's hoping for uh, less violence. Has our eyes, not only in America, but around the world, even in Canada here, has our, have our eyes been open to extremism and, you know, on, on both sides of the political spectrum? Uh, perhaps. It's been a difficult year in the U.S., uh, 2020, obviously, uh, with uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, well, ever since the Charlottesville rally, really, uh, where the president said there were yeah. good people on both sides. Um, you know, America does have some history of political violence, it's, it's sad to say. Um, and I think it's sort of naive for Canadians to think, oh, that just happens south of the border. That's an American problem. We don't have those issues here. Uh, I'm afraid there are sort of dark forces that uh, lurk in the human soul, even in the best of times. Um, but when you have a president like Trump who traffics in that and who brings out what's worse than people, well, it can get very bad indeed. Uh, I think I can say, you know, thankfully at the moment we don't have that in Canada, and uh, here's hoping we continue not to. Uh, again, m- many times b- before COVID, before all of this, uh, we've, we've talked on this show about how divided the world has become, how polarized. Uh, and we certainly saw that after the election of, of Donald Trump. My goodness, this great country just literally uh, be split in half. And it, it was, you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't about unification. It was what about me? And and and, and then certainly we've seen what has happened with the presidency of, of Donald Trump and w- what uh, culminated with this this riot on Capitol Hill. Um, do you think that that has been a, a blast of reality for people to, to tone down the rhetoric, to to bring the extremes together and, and meet in the center where there is common ground? Do you think this sets a different tone than the path we were on uh, when, when it seemed nobody give, seemed to give a rat's rear end about anybody? You know, yeah. maybe the pandemic and this will finally make us realize what the heck is important here. I, I would like to think so. I mean, it's too bad it takes an insurrection to get people to understand that democracy really? is a valuable thing that should not be, be taken for granted. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think that the siege of the Capitol will tamp down some of the official Republican uh, support for these sorts of issues. On the other hand, even Biden, with his message of unity, said, you know, you can't have alternative facts. There is such a thing yeah. as truth. You can't just make up reality to suit your own wishes. And I, I don't know how you compromise, how you deal, how you interact with people who inhabit a different planet. If they insist on saying the world is flat, where do you go from there? I, I just don't know. What about Donald Trump's actions uh, post-election, and, well, from election up until now? Um, obviously, uh, visibly absent from the inauguration. I'm, I'm not sure a, a lot of people are, are convinced that's a bad thing. Um, there's probably relief on both sides as far as that's concerned. Uh, but what about his, his actions of late, the normal traditions of the two families getting together, the tours of the House? Uh, we understand that the, in the end there was uh, a note left by the president to uh, Vice President-elect Biden or now President Biden. But, but what about his actions in the last, say, few weeks? Yeah, uh, boy, <laughs> how to uh, try to put it in uh, you know generous, gentle terms? Uh, is that his legacy? Is his last? Is his legacy like the last month or so? 
Um, that's going to be part of his legacy. On the other hand, you could say that, look, it just took four years for Americans to understand this is what he was like all along, someone who appeals to what is darkest in people and who cares only about himself and has no, not, not a whit of concern for, for the country, for democracy, for the institution of the presidency. This is what you get. You get an armed assault on American democracy. So um, he's been very quiet ever since uh, Twitter took away his mouthpiece. And um, is that going to continue? I don't know. I, I think Trump misses not being the center of attention, and obviously that's going to get more acute. Um, but he's going to have his hands full. Look, he's going to face uh, probable criminal indictments at the federal and state level, certainly uh, civil lawsuits. His business is going to be hurting, uh, not just because uh, many groups have canceled contracts with his, his businesses, but also because he owns, he owes rather uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in debts and loans. They're going to come due. So um, he's going to have his hands full. Anyone who thinks he's flying off to spend the remaining years of his life in retirement on the beach in Florida, I, I just don't see that happening. Graham, how do you think the rest of the world is feeling right now? Let's start with our allies. Yeah, I, I have to think uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is pretty happy right now. Uh, he won't say as much, I suspect, but I think that America's allies, who, look, uh, many uh, close, historically close friendships and relationships have been strained over the last four years, courtesy of Donald Trump. And I think uh, Canada and other allies can look forward to dealing with somebody who is a little bit more uh, acquainted with the world of fact and dignity. And that has to be a good thing going forward. Uh, on the other hand, for America's enemies, and they are out there, um, it's a, it, they're not happy. So what about what about the Chinas of the world? What about Russia, who you know at the beginning of this term he was buddy buddy with? He seemed more friendly with our traditional enemies than he did with our allies. I, I think no matter whether you're friend or foe, just having someone in there who is consistent and logical probably makes life a little bit easier. Uh, Trump was just so unpredictable, or if you want to be charitable, mercurial. Uh, that one didn't know how to deal with him from time to time. I, I think that uh, everybody is going to be able to count on Joe Biden for better or worse uh, going forward. Is this an example of where this type of leadership can go? Many talked about this when uh, President Trump was sworn in, that this was the new direction politics was going in. Uh, boy, I don't know. I mean, obviously politics is not just about arguments and logic and reason. It's not an Oxford debate. Uh, politics is often about emotion, and Trump was very good at tapping into people's emotions. And, you know, tens of millions of Americans, right or wrong, felt that the country was ignoring them. And uh, Trump was good at getting them to think he heard their concerns and would act on them. I, I don't think he's acted on them, and I think many of their concerns were misplaced to start with. But manifestly, politics is about emotion at times, and, uh, uh, you know, Trump was very good at getting that. Will unification be as hard as everybody thinks it is, or is everybody so beaten up they're just looking for a hug? Uh, I mean, America's a two-party system, so it's always divided. And right yeah. now, Congress, both chambers are pretty closely divided. The Senate exactly divided 50-50. These divides will raise their heads. And, you know, soon enough, maybe a year from now, um, people are going to start jockeying for political position in advance of the midterm elections of next year. So I think Biden's got, at most, a year to try to keep the temperature down, to try to get people to compromise. And he's got a lot to, to try to get done, right? I mean, it's not just the sort of health crisis of the pandemic and its concomitant economic fallout. Um, he said there are two other crises he wants to deal with, uh, which is uh, persistent racial inequality and uh, the climate. So that's a heck of a lot for anyone to do, even if you have control, good control over all of government. But for Biden, who's got you know, sort of narrow control, uh, he's got his work cut out for him. Donald Trump has left a big mess to be cleaned up.
How are you going to teach this class when it's time to talk about the last presidency? That's a tough one. I mean, Donald Trump challenged so many people's sort of conventional wisdom. He upended so many rules. And I guess the question going forward, which Joe Biden is going to largely figure out, is um, can we get back to normal? Can we get back to the way things were four years ago? And if you want to get back to that, and a lot of people do, how do you do it? Getting rid of Donald Trump's the first step, but how do you sort of reestablish rationality, facts, dignity, science, civility? Uh, I think it's going to take a lot of hard work. You know, you often wonder of what, what what would have happened if it had gone the other way. Yeah, yeah, the world would be a very different place right now. I think a lot of people are sort of hopeful that we've turned the corner in many respects. Uh, had a few states, including my home state of Pennsylvania, gone the other way, boy, things would be very different right now. It's true. Mm. Dr. Graham Dodds with us, Concordia University Professor and Associate Chair, Department of Political Science. Fascinating day, Graham. Thank you so much for the commentary. Much appreciated. Be well. Thank you. You too. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you, God. So help me, God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. You. One listener emailed me and said, "This is uh, sort of the New Year's Eve we never had." <laughs> they were opening champagne uh, at their house. I think this is one of those situations. It's not about politics. It's about uh, the direction you want the, a country to go in. It's about sanity versus insanity. It's uh, civility versus anarchy. Uh, I, I think this is what uh, I think this is what this is all about. I, I don't think it is. I think it's gone beyond politics. I think it went beyond politics uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, democracy takes some work. That is the commentary today. Feel free to uh, jump on board. You can always send us a note via the website, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. All right, uh, certainly a new era in uh, the United States. Some will say uh, around the world and certainly for uh, countries of democracy. Uh, that being said, where does this leave the Republican Party? Where does this leave conservatism in general as we move forward? Let's bring in Kate Harrison, Vice Chair of Summa Strategies, and is with us now. Kate, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. You as well, Scott. So what are your thoughts on this transition of power that we've seen now that finally everything has gone and, and seems to have gone off without a hitch? Uh, I guess a bit of sigh of relief there. What are your thoughts after watching uh, the 46th president become inaugurated? Yeah, certainly a sigh of relief because what happened uh, two weeks ago was something no one wants to see repeated uh, ever again, of course. Um, you, you know, there's a few things to, to take away. I think as with any um, kind of new beginning, uh, there is a sense of hope and optimism that people will have, political observers will have in this moment. Uh, what I would be concerned about, though, is, is just mistaking the inauguration today and today's proceedings as a sign that everything is well in America, and that there's no more divisions just because Donald Trump is not there. Certainly, Donald Trump uh, exacerbated a lot of the resentment and neglect that many Americans uh, were feeling. Um, but at the same time, he, he wasn't the cause of it. I think that he exposed uh, and unmasked the way a lot of people were feeling back when he first became elected. Uh, so to me, uh, you know, when we're talking about democracy taking some work, uh, the work is, is really just beginning on a day like today for, for Joe Biden and the new administration to make sure that 
those people who felt so alienated uh, and there's, we know they're still out there because the election was a lot closer than anybody I think expected it to be. Um, those people can't just be ignored for the next four years um, just because Trump is not around. Uh, America still has a long way to go to heal. It doesn't end on, on January 20th. Uh, absolutely. There, there's millions of Americans that, that still feel the same way that uh, Donald Trump did. Uh, and there's lots of them that don't feel the violence was appropriate and not, you know, certainly those that, that didn't go storming the Capitol building. So where does that leave the Republican Party? Because, again, right up until the very end, there's still prominent Republicans that are saying uh, that this election was stolen. So where does the Republican Party go from here? Yeah, this is a this is a bit of a turning point. There'll be need to be some soul searching done by the Republicans here. They could well try to go in the same direction that they've they've been down in terms. Uh, will Donald Trump run again? Um, you know, for the nomination, he's suggesting he might. Uh, we'll have to see how that all plays out. I think that though, uh, kind of establishment Republicans and those that have a greater sense of what it takes to get to. Uh, power uh, will recognize that they need certainly a better messenger, um, somebody that can tap into, um, you know, the, what the American people are feeling. Because to your exact point, Scott, this is not not everybody that voted Republican necessarily even likes or agrees with Donald Trump, but maybe they're still not sold on the Democrats being the party uh, for them or the party that best represents them. So what I think for the Republicans is important to focus on is having a, a really sound, solid contest for the leadership where you've got a bunch of different ideas on display. There'll be the Trumpites that still try to take the party in that direction. But this is an opportunity for the Republicans to come back and say, well, uh, that kind of that, that brand of politics is not really what we're about. Um, and then we want to take the party in a bit of a different direction and certainly uh, away from the chaos that, frankly, was a, a hallmark of, of Trump's presidency. You know, there's a brand of politics and then there's extremism. Uh, there's a brand of politics and then there's alternate facts. So which Republican Party are we going to get out of the uh, out the other end of this? Are we going to get a Republican Party that's just a, a traditional uh, conservative party similar to what we've seen in the past? Uh, or are we going to get this new fringe of the Republican Party, uh, you know, where the Ted Cruz's and the Lindsey Graham's are, 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 are trying to take command of this and, and, and become the next Donald Trump? Is it about, you know, finding the next Donald Trump or is it about regaining control of the Republican Party? It'll be different things for different people. And that's where, you know, we're going to see a bit of a shake up or a bit of a difference in terms of what the, uh, the vote Republican voters and party members want to see take place. I am confident that both of those sides of the coin, if you will, are going to be represented in a leadership contest. Uh, certainly you hope that we would turn the page uh, as a conservative here in Canada. I'd like to see them turn the page away from again, that, that chaos. Uh, but it, it, I found that there was a lot of dismissiveness over Donald Trump's initial uh, victory as a bit of a, a one-off or a blip in the radar. And I, I, I don't think that that's the case. I think that he has changed politics in a really fundamental way. It doesn't mean necessarily that views of all Republicans are, are more extremist, but we might be talking about a Republican Party that is far more apprehensive to traditional media, for example, far more apprehensive in questioning of, of institutions. These are longer-term legacies left by 
Donald Trump and, and his presidency that I think are going to take a while for the Republican Party to shake if they even want to shake that. So I, I think that you're going to see both of those uh, views, if you will, or directions for the party play out in terms of a nomination. Uh, you might get some kind of a version of, of Donald Trump that is a little uh, a little less erratic and maybe a little less um, flippant. Uh, but still embodies a lot of the same kind of populism that was uh, so popular with his presidency. It seems, you know, during the campaign and and even as as uh, Donald Trump was in power and and as government uh, proceeds now with with uh, Joe Biden, uh, that that it's all about the extremes. It's all about the far uh, fringes of of both these parties. You know, the right will. T- Talk about the far left and, and Antifa. The far right will, uh, sorry, the far right will talk about Antifa and the far left. The far left will talk about alt-rightism and extremism and, and all that sort of thing. Uh, does anybody realize that the win here, whether it's in the United States or Canada, is in the center? Because all we, st- all we seem to be talking about here is how far apart we are and how, how extreme we are. Where's that's right. the center? And that's, not a, that's not a message that your, your average voter wants to get behind, whether it's in it's in U.S. or in Canada, right? Um, so I, the more we're talking about the fringes, if you will, or and, and it's important to talk about kind of the dynamics of, of that in politics. Of course, you don't want to ignore it. But at the same time, we're more the more that no. we discuss that being commonplace, I think the more we've lost the plot about where middle America, if you will, actually is on these things. Right now, they're feeling the pinch in terms of, how to deal with the COVID crisis. They're uh, dealing with uh, a lot of economic downturn and uncertainty and the role of America in the world has changed a lot over the last four years. Like those are the, those are the things that people uh, in the middle, which is the vast majority of people to your point, really care about. So I, I think that if we're getting too focused on the extremes on the right or the left, really we're doing a disservice to voters. And that's when you get apathy uh, and a lot of disinterest in politics, which is uh, not great for for either side of of politics, right or left. You said vast majority, yet the most underrepresented, I would say, during a lot of these discussions. And and to move this into Canada, and and this is this is what started the conversation that uh, that brought your name into into the mix. You know, even if you look back several years in Canada, the Conservative Party, just right of center, the Liberal Party, just left of center, the NDP, just left of that. Now it seems that, you know, the, the Conservatives are firmly on the right. The Liberals are firmly on the left, so much so that you can sometimes barely tell them and the NDP apart. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this happen in Ontario. We're now seeing it happen in federal politics. And I, I remember saying this during the provincial election here in Ontario. Do these parties not understand that the win is in the center? We've gone way to the right. We've gone way to the left. And we've neglected the people who who, who got this country to where it is. And that's the yeah, middle class I, I in the center. A, I think that's an absolutely great point. And that's where... That's where a lot of the fight during an election campaign happens is, is trying exactly. to Exactly. Why are we why voters. are we concentrating on that? Why are we fighting about that? Well, I think it's a combination of things. Number one, I certainly our politics, uh, as much as you'd like to think that we're a unique bastion in Canada, um, it's not, it is very influenced by what's happening in the United States. And uh, we're seeing a lot of the narratives that are happening there play out here. And um, that's by virtue of proximity and media markets. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. I think, though, what it comes down to is 
political parties, uh, the Liberals and the NDP and the Conservatives, are really trying to uh, appeal to, I'll, I'll say, a value set. Uh, and it becomes a lot easier to define that value set and, frankly, to not take firm positions on issues uh, like the tough work that needs to be done on the economy, like the tough work that needs to be done uh, on many of the social issues facing Canadians, uh, to talk about more about what you want your party to aspire to be. It becomes easier to do that when you're saying what you're not. And I think that that is where political parties and political leaders tend to really uh, hang their hat on on what they're not and what the fringe elements are that they don't represent. And that's why you see, uh, you know, the Liberals, for example, trying to paint Conservatives uh, with a bit of an alt-right brush and a, and a white nationalist mm-hmm. brush in Canada. There's nothing to suggest that Aaron O'Toole and members of the Conservative Party uh, and his Conservative caucus have anything even approaching that kind of a leaning but it sure does make a good soundbite to say, well, this is certainly what we're not. And if you don't want to be associated with that, you shouldn't vote for those guys. So I think that they're, they're really trying to boil down these big value sets. That being said, though, Kate, with that being said, Kate, with all due respect, you know, the conservatives just sit there and let that happen by having people like Sloan in the, you know, in the party. I mean, they're just shooting themselves in the foot. So, again, you know, the reason that the that other people can paint the narrative is because you aren't speaking up. I mean, you look at this last election, uh, you know, it was the liberals to lose. You look at the last few provincial elections, it was the liberals to, to lose. And the conservatives could just not muster a strong candidate that could bring us to the center. I remember talking to Andrew Shear, a, a radio interview on this station. And, you know, the first couple of things out of his mouth, I'm thinking to myself, you're done. This is not going to fly in Ontario. And sure enough, he was. So, again, you know, you can you can yell at the, at the opposition for doing their job. At the end of the day, why is Aaron O'Toole sitting there and letting everybody else dictate the narrative of what the conservatives are? It's because he's not calling it out. He's not speaking it out. And then give it, give him credit. He did with Sloan, finally. Right. But, you know, again, it's, you know, people are sitting there and pointing fingers at the conservatives and saying they're this and they're that. But what are they doing to change the narrative? Yeah, I, and I think that that is incumbent on, on the leader and the, the party to do. So there, there's no disagreement there that unless you're prepared to define yourself, you have to be prepared to be defined. Uh, and what I saw even before the Sloan controversy came up over the weekend uh, Aaron O'Toole put out a, a very solid statement that talked about uh, what the party is not, and that is not uh, one of division, and that we are aiming to be a big tent party and one that is accepting of a bunch of different viewpoints and backgrounds and perspectives. So it is a big coalition that goes into to making Canada's Conservative Party, uh, and O'Toole, to his credit, I think, is trying to do that that definition and that work. Where that, of course, where the rubber hits the road is in how you deal with your Sloans and uh, others that, you know, say bigoted, stupid, racist things, right? You have to be able to uh, kind of put your money where your mouth is. So O'Toole being relatively new to the job is still kind of figuring that out. And we see it with in, in how he's treated the Sloan case that clearly he is prepared to draw a line in the sand on these things. So there needs to be more of that when it's appropriate to do so. And the other political parties should be challenged on being held to the same standard, I would say. You know, it, it, are we going to get to a point where every donor to every political party goes through a background check to make sure that they haven't said anything racist or supremacist or, or bigoted or sexist? 
Um, you know, like if the conservatives are going to abide by that standard, and clearly they've now set the bar very high because they've said you can be removed from our caucus for accepting a donation that you you didn't even know the person who donated. That standard should be applied to everybody. I'm not sure, uh, Kate, whether it's COVID-19 or just my 58 years on the planet, but um, I've got to the point personally, and I have voted for all three political parties. I I, kind of brag about that, although uh, in my latter years have voted conservative. But, you know, I've got to tell you, and, and I'm dying to tell, to say, the, have this exact same conversation with Aaron O'Toole. You know, I'm tired of the left. I'm tired of the right. And the next election is going to be won in the center. Is anybody in any political party understanding that? And do you not think the majority of Canadians feel that way? We've had it with extremism. Well, and, and they've had it with over, overly partisan. Uh, comments and takes, right? Like people just want to know what they're going to kind of get in, in return for their vote. I think they want to feel good about who they're voting for, but they also want to know uh, what the other side of election day looks like. Uh, you know, I think the more that uh, any of the leaders can be out there talking about what happens after COVID, for example, not just what the other side is not doing. Uh, And this is, again, where I feel the Conservatives have a bit of a story to tell. How would they do things differently? We know that how things have been happening with COVID in terms of vaccine rollout, for example, have not been perfect. So what's the solution? What's the alternative? Uh, What are you going to put up that the Liberals aren't offering? I think that more of that vision is necessary to convince people to look at other options rather than just um, kind of going with the the status quo. So rather than, and, and it's incumbent really on all the parties, rather than get dragged into the ideologies and the extremes, talk about what your actual plan is for Canada and how that's going to help people get back to work, uh, how it's going to help people feel safe, how it's going to help people stay healthy. All right, Kate Harrison has been with us, Vice Chair of Summa Strategies, talking about conservatism both in Canada and the United States and where it goes from here. Kate, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Likewise. You too. Take care. Have a good one. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Willers, come back at the station. Uh, keeping the Scott Thompson home show on the air. And he made me break my mug. Listen to this. Listen to this. Listen. I did that? Yeah, you did. You, you. Hey, honey, look what Will did to your mug. No, I think it was Kurt. Uh, you know, so I'm yakking off air to Will about something to do with the show. And I, I guess I'm moving my hands and my arms like he's sitting across the room from me. And I whack my coffee mug and it goes off the desk and shatters while I'm talking to Will. Will's just upset he didn't have all this on the air or recording it so he can embarrass me even more than what I am. So, uh, and the sad part is this is my wife and I've been married. 20 years this year and this is a mug that we got at the resort when we got married it's kind of like a wedding mug so uh yeah uh, so much for that hey that's what happens when you're working at the home studio and you got way too much stuff on the desk uh if this was back at the station it'd be a lot cleaner than this a lot less clutter is anybody buying that? Uh, to talk politics, both American and Canadian, let's bring in Michael Tobe. He's one of our favorites, Troy Media syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times, and is with us now. Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. I am, Scott. Hope you are, too. So your thoughts on, uh, before we get into Canadian politics, your thoughts on uh, what has transpired in the United States? I guess we're all a little hopeful that this all went off without a hitch. Well, thus far, it's been pretty smooth. No question about that. Um 
although obviously they were prepared in the United States based on the fact that the U.S. Capitol was stormed on January 6th, uh, it's been a pretty quiet affair. You know, Donald Trump left the White House around the time he roughly said he was supposed to go up in the air about 8 o'clock. I think he finally left about 8.15, went to joint, you know, went did his final speech at Joint Andrews and then flew to Florida. So his time is over. And what we've seen thus far with the presidential inauguration has been completely smooth. You know, Joe Biden's inauguration speech uh, was well-crafted. It, w- it was nicely presented as well. <clears throat> I think that he touched on a lot of points that sort of work towards the, the folksy populist manner that Joe Biden has always had, where he speaks directly to people about hope, about unity, uh, ending this uncivil war, as he called it, and trying to find ways for all sorts of Americans to agree to disagree, you know, whether it be Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, man, woman, etc. So what he's trying to do is he's obviously trying to bring the country together after a period of time that Mr. Biden and obviously 80 plus American people also basically accepted, which they felt was a time of disunity under Donald Trump. So Joe Biden obviously wants to turn the page and we'll see where he goes. How does the Republican Party move forward with this? Um, still right up into the end, many prominent uh, Republicans still uh, supporting the, the views of, of Donald Trump. How does the Republican Party move forward with this? Do they do we see more of the Trump era or is this a, a tipping point for this party and a chance to, to reposition itself? I mean, a lot will obviously depend on the Senate trial for Mr. Trump's second impeachment. So, if he's found innocent or guilty in that measure, then that could obviously affect things. But the way current things currently stand, I think you're seeing a shift, at least amongst prominent Republicans uh, in Congress. That means in both the House of Representatives and the Senate. And not just by Vice President Mike Pence and his wife Karen appearing at Joe Biden's inauguration. You know, Mitch McConnell as well appeared there and Other prominent Republicans were obviously seen in the audience, in the stands, and there were even actually a group, from what I understand, of about 17 different Republican congressmen, some of whom opposed Mr. Biden, some of whom didn't, you know, were not in favor of impeachment for Donald Trump, and others who were. A whole cobbling of groups of individuals, but all Republicans saying or committing that they would work with Mr. Biden and hope that, you know, his presidency transitions properly, runs smoothly, etc. And I know everyone will say, well, it's smoke and mirrors, you know, tomorrow everything will be different. And sure, some things will be different. But I think what is starting to basically happen is Donald Trump will remain a power broker of sorts for a period of time. He does obviously have Republicans who support him, including Republicans who are currently sitting in Congress. So they'll certainly wait to see what he does, whether he you know, goes into private life, starts a media network, tries to run again in 2024 or whatnot, they'll follow along with him. Or even this talk about a third party, which seems a little bit more like a trial balloon than anything else, but they'll certainly be there and waiting. But I think the Republican Party is now going to start looking within itself and starting to realize that if they're going to move forward, it doesn't mean that they have to remove all aspects of Trump or Trumpism. There were positive attributes to his presidency, you know, rebuilding the relationship with the working class, which has been decades of disrepair that the Republicans have had, uh, building stronger ties and stronger relationships within the Hispanic community, the African-American community, 
all those things create a bigger tent for the Republican Party, and they are beneficial, and that is certainly in part due to Donald Trump's presidency. But I think what they have to realize is that... Wait a second, wait a second. He, he expanded relationships with the Hispanic community and the black community? Is that what you made reference did. to? Well, I mean, look at the polling numbers. I mean, he actually he actually nearly got 30% of the, Repo- of the Hispanic vote, which is extraordinarily high for a Republican president. It's been low on the low side. And within the African-American community, the numbers have never been great. But I can certainly say that Mr. Trump's polling numbers, both in 2016 and 2020, were actually better, for example, than President George W. Bush. And he had a decent relationship with the African-American community and their leadership directly, ministers, politicians, etc. So he actually did do some things that were beneficial that can then be expanded by someone else who is a more of a conventional, not just Republican, but politician. So yes, aside from Canada's, you know, getting triggered every single time the word Donald Trump appears, there were certain things that he did that were actually helpful to the Republican cause. The problem is there were also a lot of detrimental things that they have to remove pretty fast. And that's going to be really the, the, the trick for the Republican Party for the next little while is to rebuild themselves a nine image, so to speak, but to ensure that certain points of history, including even a little bit of Trump's legacy, are kept. I don't know. Anything that Trump uh, ever did, I, I, I pretty much would, I think it's been overshadowed by everything, you know, by him blowing off another toe. Um, you know, I'm not sure how many digits this man would have left. Is there? Is this still about politics, do you, do you think, Michael? Because I don't think it is. I, I think this has gone beyond the left and the right. This is, you know, a civility versus anarchy. You know, do you want a president in who is so divisive? And again, I don't care what party it is, so divisive that you hear from literally every single hour. I mean, I think people have just like, whew, um, thank, thank God that's over. And, and again, I, I, you know, and maybe that's because I'm a centrist, but you know, uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, this has gone beyond the left and the right. Well, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, politics is not going to be the same as it once was. The days that you and I live through are basically over as of right now. It doesn't mean that we're going to see another Donald Trump in power. I'm not, I'm not stating that. But the divisiveness or the political rigidity that exists in politics not just in countries like Canada, but also the United States, Europe, Asia, etc. It's going to exist long, long past Donald Trump, and more importantly, it was there long before he ever became president. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean that Republicans and Democrats, for example, in the United States, can't work together. They can, they have successfully, and they did, even in periods of time where there was a lot of animosity. And it wasn't just during Donald Trump's four years, there was a ton of animosity, as an easy example, during Barack Obama's eight years in power. I know everyone seems to forget about that it was cheer- with their little cheery dispositions, but it was a pretty bad scene in Washington during that time, as people may remember, to the point with government lockdowns and other things. It was just a mess at times, both politically and economically in the U.S. And yes, I agree that things obviously became far worse and far more turbulent with Donald Trump in power, for sure. But unfortunately, this has existed for a while, and you can go back to days of Clinton, you can go back to the Bushes, even mm-hmm. Reagan to some extent, that you just see little inklings of this. So it's been around for decades. But one thing I would like to just point out quickly before I let you ask your next question, whereas you said that people have had enough, that they're finished with it, there are a lot of people who've had enough, but I hate to tell you that in the United States, 
it is looked upon differently. With the exception of the storming of the Capitol the last couple of weeks, where you are certainly seeing that Donald Trump's personal popularity numbers plummeted quite a bit. He, I think he hit his second lowest total of in, his entire presidency as he left office, which is around 34% of the entire country. There still are many, many Americans, 74 million plus, who voted for him. Now, they didn't necessarily vote for him. They might have, in many cases, voted for conservatism, the Republican Party, or a variety of other things. But there's an enormous division in the United States, and there are a lot of people who, sure, they're going to allow Joe Biden some time to be president. They're going to give him a chance because that's the way the United States operates. That's the way a lot of democratic countries operate. But they know full well that Joe Biden's policies and ideas are not going to mesh with their own. And for that reason, you know that divisions will come up pretty fast. So has Donald Trump helped the Republican Party and conservatism, or has he hurt it? No, he has not helped it at all. And that, that part I have said from the very beginning, Scott, with you and others, he has not helped it whatsoever. Um, I'm not saying that he's necessarily hindered it, and I'm not saying that he's destroyed it. And you have certain people who are very, very negative right now, including a lot of American commentators, who have suggested that you should just blow up the Republican Party and start again. I I'm afraid I'm just not that negative as a person, and I also don't believe that. Because politics is evergreen. You know, it's based upon leaders, politicians of the moment, ideas that are in, well, in full force at a point in time. Everything changes in politics, and basically a day in a life, you know, a day in politics is a lifetime, as they say. There's a lot of things that are always swirling about politics in general. It doesn't have to just be the Republican Party. It's also the Democratic Party. And for that reason, I think that you'll, you will see that things will change a fair bit in the United States under Joe Biden's presidency, but that certain issues and challenges will remain for a long period of time that obviously future leaders are going to have to deal with. So there's going to be a lot of soul searching, not just in the Republican Party, but in U.S. politics in general. And it'll be kind of fascinating to see where it all ends up. Does this set back the Conservative Party in Canada? It doesn't really. Um, we have tried, for the most part, in the Conservative Party of Canada to stay separate, not just from Donald Trump, but also the U.S. Republican Party. And for that reason, I mean, obviously, we just don't have a strong tradition of conservatism in this country. Now, yes, we obviously have had conservative governments. Our first prime minister was a conservative or a liberal conservative at the time, Sir John A. Macdonald. We certainly have had conservative provincial governments, conservative municipal politicians, mayors, etc. There have been conservative politics in this country, but sir, but basically since about 19, let's say late 50s, early 60s, and through most of our country's history, the Liberal Party of Canada has been in ascension, not descension. For that reason, Canadian conservatives always have to be mindful of other types of conservative movements and ideas and ensure that, yes, they capture all the good points about it, but that they remain separate. They have their own separate ideology, separate policies, separate platforms, etc., to remain distinctive. And if they remain distinctive, that tends to be where they're the most successful. That's why Stephen Harper, for example, won three straight elections. Even though, obviously, people were tired of the Liberal Party and were furious about ad scam and various other things affecting Jean Chrétien and Paul Martin, it, it was Stephen Harper's leadership that pulled everything together. It's, you know, it's been a bit of a struggle the past few years, even though 
Justin Trudeau's ineffective and weak leadership should be easy pickings to anybody who's now leading the Conservative Party. But Aaron O'Toole, who certainly has had a bit of a bumpy patch the last few days, no question about that, dealing with, you know, ensuring that, you know, that people understand the far right is repudiated by this party, issues with Derek Sloan that are going on. Let, let's expand on that, Michael, because, you, you know, easy pickings, and I, I had this discussion with my last guest, is it the opposition for picking the low-hanging fruit, or is it, uh, or, or is it the party because it doesn't defend uh, its position? You, you know, you, you spoke earlier about uh, the politics of your and my day, uh, and how things have changed. You know, I remember when, you know, the Conservative Party was just right of center. The Liberal Party was just left of center. And the NDP just left of that. Now it appears the Conservative Party is firmly on the right. The Liberal Party is firmly on the left, pretty much to the point where they're eating the NDP's lunch and you can't even tell the two parties apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's the last couple of provincial elections uh, or even federal elections, election um it, it seems that we have ignored that we have ignored the center and, and and i said this to my last guest i remember interviewing andrew Shear uh, on the show and, and the first couple of sentences out of his mouth i'm thinking this is not gonna fly here um so do these parties realize the win is in the center and that People are growing tired of the extremes on either side of all of this. And, and me personally, I'm frustrated with the left. I'm frustrated with the right. And, you know, those are the fringes of the party. Where's the mainstream? Where is the rest of Canada? The rest of Canada is represented in those parties, Scott, whether you see yourself in the mirror or not. Yeah, but it's usually because, Michael, they don't have a choice. They're not really firmly for one candidate. They just don't want the other. Where's the leadership, Michael? Leadership is something separate, though. You're talking one hand... One hand, you're talking. Ideology. But it's the but it's the leadership that conveys. But it's a leadership, Michael, that conveys the tone of the party. Again, you know what the what the tone of the party is and what the public's public's perception of it are two totally different things. And the party is responsible for both. So again, I continue. No, the leader puts his or her footprint on the party. That's certainly true. But the party itself is a separate entity in the sense that all the people who are part of the party or part of the collective do not all think alike. I mean, this is obvious stuff, but they don't. So even when you have a leader who represents A, B, C, D, and that's what the party represents, there are going to be many people who vote for the party who don't necessarily agree with A or D, but might agree with B and C. So when you say that the center doesn't exist at all, this we get back to your original point, or that it doesn't seem obvious now that extremes are controlling both sides. I think it also depends how you look at what extremes are. I don't find, for example, Canadian politics in general to be very extreme on the right or on the left. I really don't. Especially if you compare it to the United States to parts of Europe, I, I really don't. But let's compare it to Canada in the past. I mean, that's all we can really compare it to. Have we lost Michael? Oh, my goodness, we've lost Michael. We've reestablished lines. Michael, I wanted to ask you, we've only got a couple of minutes left here, but I wanted to get your take on Keystone. Obviously, that is one of the things that uh, Joe Biden has said he's going to uh, dump as soon as he, he, he is in office. Yep. Your thoughts, where that leaves the Canadian energy industry? Well, it'll be a huge mistake and it'll be disastrous for the Canadian energy industry. It'll be disastrous for the American as well. Do you think this is set in stone? Is there changing this? No, no, it's a good question. Look, let's put it this way. I didn't assume that Keystone XL 
was going to be one of the first orders of the day when Joe Biden got into got into office, and the mm-hmm. first day, mind you. I mean, that kind of startled me as well, especially based on the fact that the Canada-U.S. relationship, both in political and economic terms, has been shaky at times during Donald Trump's leadership. I mean, obviously, for a wide variety of things that we don't really have time for right now, but it's not been great, and I don't think this is necessarily the best foot to putting your best foot forward to try to repair the damage, because Keystone XL is very important to this country. It's important to our economy. It's important to our industry. It creates new jobs. It's an important thing that we need in this system. And although obviously a lot of people who are, you know, supportive of the environment, you know, have wanted, have been working on Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, his vice president, and others to get rid of this as fast as possible. Democrats have spoken against the Keystone XL pipeline project for many, many years, but it's a terrible move forward. And let's put it this way. I don't know if anything can be done at this stage, but I hope somehow they either delay the decision or it gets readjusted. But based on things the way they stand right now, it looks like it's going to be off the table as of sometime tonight. What about the prime minister? Is there anything he can do here? And how does he balance this with, um, you know, obviously his climate change expectations? Well, based on the way the prime minister is handling things with the Pfizer vaccine, I don't know. I certainly believe in his hands. But, um, no, I mean, the big problem here, and maybe you've already talked about on your show today, Canada's environment minister was talking about Canada-U.S. relations and said that it's a lot more or it's greater than the Keystone XL pipeline. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's true. It's also yeah, it's, it's a multifaceted relationship, but in the energy policy, but energy policy, the environment, other things, those are all integral to our relationship. And look, the interesting thing here is, as you know, it's not just conservatives who support the Keystone XL pipeline. Mm. Trudeau has actually spoken in favor of it. The prime minister, so you would think that he would want to try to fight to keep it alive. Because of the possible, you know, the amount of success it could potentially have, the amount of money we could potentially make, the amount of economic opportunities that it has or could, could involve. But it's kind of scary to sort of watch that. Yes, he obviously wants to maintain a good relationship with, you know, U.S. President Joe Biden. But at the same time, if this is part of our relationship, which it is, then he should actually work and fight to try to preserve it. Hmm. But I don't know if he's really going to push that hard. Michael Tobe, Troy Media Syndicated columnist, contributor to the Washington Times. Michael, as always, thanks so much for yours. Be well. You too. Take care. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. Have a good life. We will see you soon.